Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Well, if you have your Bibles, please open to Job chapter 8. Please open your Bibles to Job chapter 8. So as we dig in tonight, we're going to, um, we're going to continue with this conversation that Job is having with his friends and counselors. And we're going to now meet a new character that comes on the scene. We're going to meet Bildad. This is the first time that we're introduced to this. So I, I call them friends, but it's kind of with a grain of salt that I speak of them in that way because of how they approach and address Job and his issues. Um, but this is the first time we're, we're really, uh, we get to see his perspective on everything. And this is uh, interesting because it seems as though uh, his three friends that came, and remember they came very quickly after they heard of Job's uh, distress and the tragedy that occurred in his, in his family and, and to him. And they came immediately and they, and they were with Job. And now we get to see what their counsel is to him. And it's interesting because it seems as though now we're getting to know someone new. And it's, it, I think they went to the same counseling school because we get, to, we get a, the same kind of uh, lack of empathy, lack of compassion uh, that we had from Eliphaz. Now we're hearing from Bildad. And so, whether they compared notes, uh, or they just were trained in the same way, or we just exposed to this, this, um, this conversation for a purpose, uh, we will see some similarities here. Bildad is actually more harsh than Eliphaz was, and he doesn't, he, he doesn't uh, lead into it. It's not, uh, uh, it, it's, there's no, um, grooming or or stroking of Job beforehand, he just kind of hits him pretty hard. Uh, Bildad kind of picks up where Aliphaz leaves off, and I think of I'm thinking in my mind as I'm preparing here. It's and I'm not a I'm not a wrestling fan, but it seems like a tag team match from what I recall. Uh, the way uh, professional wrestlers they kind of they go into the ring and and there's a guy on the outside, and when he's ready and he's spent, he tags him and he, the other guy comes in and he just starts pummeling his opponent. And this is kind of where we're at in this story. Bildad is going to come in now and take over for Eliphaz. And he immediately begins to rebuke Job. And he rebukes Job for, he's, he kind of comes at it from a different angle. He's listening to the conversation that Job and Eliphaz had. And you remember Job defended himself 
in chapter 6, uh, and um, he actually said some harsh, he, he kind of had a harsh way of defending himself to Eliphaz. But think about where Job is coming from. He's, you know, he's lost all of this, uh, his, his family, his livelihood, um, his health. He's, uh, he's suffering here. And instead of the compassion and the empathy that he desires, um, he's just getting rebuked from his friends. And so he did come back at Eliphaz pretty harsh. And in chapter 6, he defends himself. Remember in Job 6, verses 1 through 3, Job you know, says, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed and my calamity laid with it on the scales, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. So Job says, listen, I, I know I might have spoken harshly to you, but, but it, I'm justifying that by the pain that I'm in, by the suffering that I'm in. He's trying to show his friends that they should have more compassion on him, should have more empathy. And remember we discussed how this kind of scene and the way it's brought out in the Scriptures, the back and forth, the conversation, can kind of teach us how to be patient with one another. Because sometimes we're not. You know, sometimes somebody will say something that might sound harsh or thoughtless, and we won't take the time to find out, well, maybe they're going through something. Maybe they're having a really difficult time. Maybe there's something going on in their life that, that I can, uh, you know, comfort. I can be uh, a, a sob to, a, a, a bomb to that would help them through this situation. But we don't take the time a lot to, to find that out. And you know, this life is about relationships. And most of our relationships are, you know, in the horizontal, the most important relationship is our relationship with the Lord. But from that flows all of our other relationships. And if we're not getting to know people, if we're not building relationships, then we won't take the time to find out what's going on in people's lives. And that's why we really feel, and we, we kind of stress, you know, small groups, being part of a ministry and home groups and all of that, because that's really where you will start to build and develop relationships and you'll start to know people and understand what they're going through and they'll know you and you'll, and you'll have people to pray with you when you're going through stuff. So it's really, really important. So this... This book is teaching us a lot about relationships, and we can learn the you know we can learn the good and the bad and how they're and how they relate to one another. So Job was looking for a little grace from his friends, and I think for us we would we would do well in our relationships if we if we showed grace to um, to those who we deal with, um, because we certainly want grace shown to us. In, re, in return. And maybe if we, if we step into their shoes a little bit and understand what, what they're going through, we would, um, it, would be, it would be easier for us to show them grace because we know that we, we might go through that same thing at one point. So just kind of a lead-in now um, to this new conversation now that Bildad is going gonna, is gonna to have with Job, and we're going to jump in in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 8 and see what, what he has to say. 
And it says here, Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you speak these things? And the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? Does God subvert judgment? Or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your sons have sinned against Him, He has cast them away for their transgression. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now He would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place, though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. So, Again, we see Bildad here. He's not pulling any punches. He's going right for the, uh, right for the kill. In the NIV, verse 2 says, How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. So he's basically telling Job that his defense, Job's defense of, of, his, of his suffering, is uh, he's, just, he's basically calling Job a big blowhard, is what it is. That his words have no meaning. That they... That, that they have no impact. And imagine going to a counselor for an issue or coming to see one of the pastors here and having them tell you that, that your words are just, you know, they're meaningless. You're just being a big blowhard. That's really not, um, I, I don't think that's in any of the textbooks for counseling. You know, Job was pouring his heart out to these guys. And he expected them to be sympathetic to him, to hear his words. And instead, he received back words of rebuke and of judgment. Bildad here is going to actually attempt to prove Job's guilt. And he's going to present a few different arguments. We start to get into now a little bit of a section in this book that resembles a court case. So we'll see... Um, you know, the attorneys for the, for the prosecution start to present their evidence against Job. And then we'll start to see Job's defense coming back. And, um, and God is going to get caught up in all of this too uh, throughout the book. But Bildab here is, uh, is attempting to prove that Job is guilty. And verse 3 is one of the ways he starts to do that. He actually brings God into it and in, in an attempt to prove Job's guilt. He says here, he's defending God. He's kind of defending God. And a lot of people will take this approach. He says, does God subvert judgment? Or does the Almighty pervert justice? In other words, if God was... if God, We know God is just. We know God is, is, is faithful and true. So there must be a reason why you're going through all of this suffering, Job, because God does not subvert judgment. He is, he is just in all he does. And when, when people bring that defense or, or bring that charge and bring God into it, it almost is difficult for us to go against it because, well, they're bringing God in. And a lot of things that Bildad and Eliphaz and, and all of his friends do is they kind of give a right picture of God, a right theological view of who God is. They, write, they rightly will describe his character and his nature, but they'll then misapply it 
to Job's situation. And we need to be careful too that when we're, we're, when we have conversations with people, that we don't misapply God's word and we don't misrepresent God's character and when we're trying to prove a point. Because, you know, how can we go against that? How can we deny something when God is the subject or the topic of, of what people are trying to say to us? But Job needed words of comfort. Job needed words of understanding. Bildad here is so busy trying to defend God in order to prove Job's guilt that he forgot about trying to comfort his friend. And he's, he's missing the whole point. And, and notice how harsh she is. And again, we have, a, we have a record here of this conversation. I'm assuming it's, it's a complete record of it. And... He starts off really harsh, and then right away he says something that's really cruel. And he says in verse 4, If your sons have sinned against him, God, he cast them away for their transgression. So he's saying here, not only, Job, have you sinned, but you know, your sons have died. They must have sinned. And God just cast them away because of their sin. So he's hitting him here from two different sides to try to to try to prove Job's guilt, and um, and that's I mean that's definitely being being cruel and harsh. He slanders their his dead son's reputation basically to Job. But even if that were true, I mean let's just let's just take that at face value. And even if it were true that his son sinned uh, or Job sinned. Think about this counseling approach that, that Bildad is using and, and understand that the, the goal for counseling should always be healing and restoration, right? It should never be to tear someone down. It should always be to build someone up. And so I don't see that here. I don't see that here. I just see a tearing down. When people come to us or when we go to someone for words of comfort that healing should be the goal for that. Restoration should be the goal. If there is sin, and sometimes we need to rebuke or admonish, but it should be out of love. It should be out of kindness. And it should be with the intention to build that person up. And you, you and I know, and we've been, we've been in the Scriptures long enough to know that God doesn't need our defending. He doesn't need us to defend him. The Bible does that well enough on its own. The Bible shows and proves that his judgments are always perfect. And Bildad here is trying to, trying to present this case that, well, if, if God's judgments are true and perfect, then, then Job is getting what he deserves. But in, there's a couple of verses that just jump out at me as I'm reading through this, and we, we, we notice... You know, Bildad again trying to prove um, Job's guilt by by um, showing God's uh, uh, justice, and we know that that's true. In Psalm 19, verse 9, it says, "The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether." So we know that Psalm 119, 
Verse 137 says, Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. God is always fair. God's judgments are always true and righteous. He'll never punish anyone unfairly. And a lot of times people will will question us as Christians about that, about God's fairness. Although maybe from the outside it doesn't look fair, but we know that God's character and His nature is always fair. So Bildad here is now rebuking Job for also for his questioning of God. You know, and it's like if we were to bring up, if, if we wanted to do this, if we were going to present this argument, you know, that God's, God's judgments are always true, and therefore the um, end justifies the means, and there's a cause and effect relationship here, you must have sinned greatly because you're suffering greatly. You know, we may bring up, we may bring up certain scriptures to prove our point. We may bring up God's judgment of the world uh, at the flood. We may bring up God's judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah when, when he rained a fire and brimstone down and judged the wickedness there. But one thing we need to be careful of is that we don't show, we don't present a, an incomplete picture of who God is. Yes, God is just, right? God will, will, never, will never judge unfairly, but He will judge sin. No question about that. But God is also love. And we need to not forget God's mercy and grace is, is a big part of His nature and His character. We never want to leave that out. And it's when, it's when those two aspects of God's character come together that we really see the entirety and the completeness of who He is. It's His justice and His mercy. And they come together. And a lot of times, now, human beings, it's hard to reconcile those two things. Justice and mercy. But at the cross, it's perfectly reconciled. Those two things. I think we're going to put up Romans 3. A few verses that really bring this home in a very, very important way. As believers, we need have to understand this. It's really a doctrinal truth that's essential to what we believe. And it says in Romans three twenty three through twenty six, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So all have sinned, therefore all deserve punishment, all deserve judgment. So that's the just part of God. He will will judge sin, right? But they're justified by His grace. So we have, right, we have justice and we have grace. We We have judgment and we have mercy going on at the same time. But being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. So it's by the blood of Christ, through our faith in Christ, and His finished work on the cross, that mercy and justice come together. Right? Because in His forbearance, God has had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So we're talking about now Job's 
actually Job's timing, you know, Old Testament, prior to Christ, he set those sins aside for those who trusted in God, knowing that he would, he would be faithful to, to, uh, to deal with the sin issue. And they looked to God and they looked to him in faith. So he passed over those sins to demonstrate at the present time, the time of Christ, the time when Jesus Christ went to the cross to actually complete that work. At the present time, his righteousness was demonstrated that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God here has this dual nature. We see his justice, we see his mercy. We see in one act of his son Jesus, God, God demonstrated that he was just, right? He handed down the, the, the sentence that was due for mankind's sin. And he was also the justifier in that in, through faith in Christ, he declares that all men are what? Not guilty. So you're, he's just by punishing sin, but he's also the justifier by sending his son to pay for that sin. So going back to Job's time, in the Old Testament times, they look forward to Christ's sacrifice, not knowing the details and not knowing how, how it would be played out, but trusting that God would provide. So Job was declared... Remember back in in chapters 1 and 2, Job is declared as a righteous man, right? A blameless man. And then in in chapter 2, God declares Job a blameless man, right? So, obviously, there was a relationship that Job had with the living God. There was a trust and a faith that Job had that God would work things out. And God dealt with him with mercy and grace, as his child, not with the, the justice that is due, because Jesus Christ took that upon himself. Bildad was really good in presenting God as the, the just, be, in other words, presenting God as the one who would punish sin, but he's not really that great at presenting him as the justifier, the one who would, who would offer his son to take the penalty of sin so that we won't have to do that. See, Bildad, again, was giving a, a very incomplete picture of, jo- of, of God to Job in his, in his presentation, in his argument for Job's guilt. He goes on in verses 5-7, through seven, If you would earnestly seek God and make supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, Surely now he would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. So he's telling Job here, Job, just be honest with God. Confess your sin. Repent. Seek forgiveness and he'll hear you. And Bildad spoke to Job as if he he knew that there was some sin. He knew that he was not pure and upright. Because if he were, he would be prospering and not suffering. But again, as we make application, we need to be careful that we don't 
look at people's circumstances, right? Because we can tend to do that. And then assume that they're not living righteous lives because they're going through struggles or they're suffering. There is no direct cause and effect relationship between the two because we live in this fallen world. We live in this fallen, sinful world. So we can't look at people's situation or circumstances and make that type of judgment. Another way Bildad here is trying to prove Job's guilt, to present this case against Job, is he points to the wisdom of the past. And he points to this as some final word, really, when it comes to explaining the things of God. In verses 8 through 10, it says, he, sa- he says to Job here, For inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their, fla- their fathers. For we were born yesterday, and we, in other words, we're young. We don't have the wisdom of the past. But go back, go back in the ages, and look at the, look at the wisdom of the ancients. And it's, he says in verse 9, For we were born yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? So, again, this is a flawed presentation of Job's guilt, but Bildad has given it his best shot. And it certainly is true that we should look to the past. We, we can look to the past to guide us in the present. Maybe those, um, you know, the, the, certainly the, the fathers of, um, of modern Christianity, those ones who brought it in the first century and, and spread it all over the known world, and those who held to um, you know, to good doctrine and good theology and those who were uh, biblically based. And we look to those in the past and we, and we can uh, be guided by that. Um, we were talking uh, the other day at, one of our, at our morning staff meeting about something that's been called dead orthodoxy, right? And, and what that means. And... Uh, and and I, I thought it, it kind of applied here in this case where you can look to the past, right? But you can't, you can't get stuck there. Wearsby um, kind of cautions us referring to the wisdom of the past. He refers to it more as a rudder to guide us into the future, not an anchor that's going to just hold us back. Dead orthodoxy can actually quench the work of the Holy Spirit. That God may want to do a new work in a new place, in a new way, reveal Himself um, to a new generation. And dead orthodoxy can stifle that. Um, looking to the past and, and, and making that the end-all and be-all of, of how we, uh, we relate to, to God through our faith is only a partial way of doing it. You know, when we look to, um, when, we, when we're, you know, r- stuck in this dead orthodoxy, it produces kind of an environment that won't allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into a new work because, well, we've never done it that way before or that's not the way our fathers did it or, or, or whatever. And so we get stuck and those traditions can kind of 
keep us from seeing what God wants to do in, in the generation that we're in. I know here at Calvary Chapel, we, we know that apart from the Holy Spirit, that this is just a, a nice social meeting. I like all you folks and all, but it, this is, um, if, it, if it isn't inspired and led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's just a social gathering. We trust that, that He meets us here. We trust that He fills this place with His presence every single time we gather together and that He can lead us into truth. And we have an expectation of that, that He will do a work among us. So, um, Bildad was kind of stuck here and he was trying to prove his point, but it was a point that was a, it was a flawed point. Um, he was telling Job basically if he knew the wisdom of the ancients that Job would understand what God was doing and he wouldn't question him. And we can look to the traditions of the past. We can seek him, right, through his word and in prayer. And we need, but we need to remain open to the leading of the Holy Spirit in order to fully know um, who God is in a better way in a better way and certainly it'll help us persevere in those times of trial in our life right cuz cuz it'll be something that we um we are familiar with we know god because we we're uh, seeking him now he goes on here in the next few verses to to kind of continue to present this case against job and now you know he looked he looked to uh to the ancients right now he's going to look to nature to kind of prove his point that that god that God is righteous and job must be guilty or else he wouldn't be suffering the way he the way he is so in verses eleven through eighteen it's kind of like a poem that he recites to job to prove his point. It says, "Can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water?" While it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant. So are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the hypocrite shall perish, whose confidence shall be cut off, and whose trust is a spider's web. He leans on his house, but it does not stand, and he holds it fast, but it does not endure. He grows green in the sun, and his branches spread out in his garden. His roots wrap around a rock heap and look, and look for a place in the stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. So Bildad here is presenting this uh, point that in the natural world, in nature for the most part, there's a direct cause and effect relationship between things. The papyrus plant can't thrive without water. It'll wither and die. And Bildad here is kind of saying, Job, you're withering and dying because you're separated from the source of your strength due to sin. He's making that, he's making that comparison there. He's saying, he's saying here, no one can lean on a spider's web and expect it to support him. Bildad is kind of saying, Job, you're trying to sustain yourself and trying to prove your innocence based on a flimsy foundation. It's not going to hold up, Job. 
Bildad is trying to present this, this analogy, this argument. He says when a, a plant dies when it's uprooted, right? And so, Job, how much more will you be destroyed if you're disconnected to the true vine, to God, because of your sin? And God wouldn't uproot a healthy, productive plant, would He, Job? So why are you being cast aside by God? There must be something wrong with you. So again, we see Job's friends and counselors kind of giving some somewhat solid theology here, but misapplying it to Job and being really of no comfort to him. He's basically saying there's this cause and effect relationship, Job, just like in nature, as you look out uh, among God's creation, you know these things are going to happen. Same thing is happening in your life, Job. You sinned, God punishes. This is exactly what's going on. But our relationship with God doesn't work like that. It's not, we can't put God in a box like that. That's not how it, that's not how it is. He goes on here in verses 19 through 22. Behold, this is the joy of his way. Out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. Yet he will fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the dwelling place of the wicked will, clump, will come to nothing. So, I don't know, if, I don't know here, it's, it seems like there's a shift here in Bildad's attitude a little bit. It, I don't know if there's some time that, that, um, that came between verse 18 and verse 19. Maybe Bildad went out and, and got a bite to eat and he's feeling better. And it seems like the whole, his whole attitude shifts a little bit toward Job and maybe or maybe he realized how harsh he was being to him in these previous verses and he just wants to bring a little comfort to him now as he's as he ends his conversation so he, he closes with actually a couple of words of encouragement and wisdom true statements that God will take care of those who seek seek him that God will care for those who are submitted to him in their lives. And we know that it's true that whether it's in this life or the next, that God is always righteous in how He's going to deal with us. That the wicked will receive their just due and that the righteous will receive their rewards. It may not happen in this life. And this is what I'm going to close with tonight. We're not going to jump into chapter 9. I wanted to start with Job's response to Bildad, but I, I think I'd rather leave it here. That whether it's this life or next, this is important for us to remember because we tend to look at our life as Solomon put, under the sun. We tend to look at just this temporal life and we can see suffering and we can see 
um, things that are wrong in the world. And we can wonder if God is, is there and we can wonder if God has forgotten. But we, can, we also should make sure that we have that eternal perspective. That we know that in the next life, God's going to make everything perfect. That we can have faith in that. That we can trust in that. You know, that this is just, that this is just temporary. That anything that we're dealing with, that we're going through now, it will pass. And so that perspective is really important. And I'm kind of glad that Bildad came around to that at the end. I would hate for him to have left it just completely, you know, I can imagine Job just completely destroyed. But we're going to see next time we get together Job's response to Bildad. But for us to remember that, um, that God is always fair, God is always just, and that God sent His Son to take that penalty of sin that we deserved. It's such a beautiful message to a dead and dying world. And, you know, we have, we're always going to have opportunities to share what God has done in our life. And I think that's one of the most important testimonies that we have is that God took, took us, I'll speak for myself, took a took someone who was dead in their trespasses and sins and made me alive in Christ. And that's how we show people that there's more to, more to their existence than what they see in the temporal and in, in, uh, you know, in life here on this earth. And we can give them the hope and we can give them the comfort that God is always with them even through the difficulties that we go through in this life. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have Children's Church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.